Uh, we've uh, entered the promised land. God's brought his people in. He's established them. And here at the end of the book, uh, the, the, the question that lies before them, that Joshua's putting before them is, how, how do we live in this land and love God in the long term? It's actually a really simple question that uh, Joshua's posing in, in this chapter, in 20, chapter 24. But I decided uh, that the question that he's asking and posing is though simple, so important that I'm actually going to spend two weeks here in chapter 24. So his answer is sort of a three-part answer, and, uh, and we're going to just do the first part tonight to uh, answer the question, what does it look like? How do we, maybe even why should we, how do we love God with our whole heart for our whole life? So I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 28, but only really talk about the first 14 or so. So Joshua 24, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, heads, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterwards I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. And then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, and so I delivered you out of his hand. You went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of the Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. Eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it's the Lord our God who bought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he's our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn 
and do you harm and consume you after having done you good? And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves. You've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve his voice. We will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in places statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a large stone and set up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, this stone shall be a witness against us for it's been heard all the words the Lord spoken to us. It will be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, everyone to his inheritance. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Great Father, we pray you would show us great things in your law, especially your great love. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, I don't know how you personally uh, work through the emotions of Valentine's Day. I love that Colin was actually visibly upset that he lost his contest. Um, anyway, um, I am by nature have a slight cynical turn uh, about all things emotionally that are forced upon me. So, But I am not going to be cynical right now. Instead, I am going to choose to celebrate a little bit like we just did. And uh, in, in two particular ways, I'm going to share with you two particular what I'm calling love gifts that the Internet has given us. Two love gifts from the internet. The first is a relatively recent phenomenon that I think is lovely. It's called Selena Scene. Do you know what Selena Scene is? So Selena Scene is at the end of a great sporting event, for instance, most recent memory for me, the, the Minnesota Miracle, where the Vikings, it, the last seven seconds, pull out a miraculous touchdown to proceed. <laughs> in the playoffs and then get trounced and dash my hopes. But the good part, um, that they, they take that one-minute clip and lay over Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. So as the ball's being snapped, you can hear the instruments begin to swell. As it makes the catch, you, you hear her beginning to sing, You're here, there's nothing I fear. I know my heart will go on and will stay forever this way. You're safe in my heart, and my heart will go on and on. And of course, the song swells, and it gets loud, and there's the celebration of the players, and the fans going crazy. It's frankly perfect. <laughs> you, should, you should watch it. And uh, frankly, I love that we've taken this Academy Award-winning song and put it to such a good use. I really, I really am. Um, another one, and this one is frankly so old in Internet history that some of you may not be familiar with it. It's the phenomenon known as rickrolling. You know, okay, it's good to know that you've been raised correctly. Um, so uh, if you're not familiar, you should go look up Rick Astley. And uh, frankly, it looks a little bit like Jordan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is actually pretty good. I mean, and uh, the, the guy has, a gr- both these people have great voices. They really do. But, uh, you know, it's the late 80s. The, the, the dress is a bit funny. Anyway, uh, he, he's famous for these lyrics. I'm never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you, never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye, never going to tell a lie and hurt you. And I, I love that both these songs are such popular internet fodder. And uh, particularly in these forms, like we're, we're using them because they're funny, uh, because they're a little bit cheesy, frankly. The, the songs are a little bit cheesy. But I think we think they're cheesy because we're cynical about their message. 
We're, we're cynical that love will go on. We're cynical that love lasts. And uh, it's interesting. We, we could spend a long time asking why are we so cynical about love. But I'm just going to say what's really interesting is that Joshua seems to be in this text. If you were tracking as I was reading, um, Joshua in verse 14 tells them, Hey, love the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And, and what they do is they give a great answer. You go back and look at it in detail. They say everything right, and I believe they're sincere. And, and then he says in verse 19, no, you can't. Did you see that? He says in verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. You're not going to do it. Uh, Joshua seems just a bit cynical about their ability to love God. And um, I think it's really interesting. We tend to be cynical regarding love because we're cynical that someone can know us and love us well. But Joshua here is confronting us with the shocking reality, and this is what people actually learn in marriage if they're like mature adults. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm not so good at loving either. I'm not really good at loving. I'm poor at this. And, and Joshua's confronting them and with us with the reality that we're bad and unfaithful lovers. And uh, the, the question then that he's raising that I want to try to answer this week and next is, why should we love the Lord? And if we do want to, how do we love him well? with a love that lasts a lifetime? How do we love them well with a love that lasts a lifetime? And again, uh, we're just going to get started this week. Uh, I don't think I've ever broken a sermon in two parts before, but uh, I, I feel like the first part's so important, I needed to give it a lot of attention. So next week, come back. Cliffhanger. Although it's not really a cliffhanger. Anyway, um, we're, we're going to see this tonight as we really deal with the first 13 verses is if we are going to be wholehearted lifelong lovers of God we have to know and rehearse the gospel that's the first step we have to know and rehearse the gospel if we're going to be wholehearted lifelong lovers of God so let's talk about what that means and I, I love what this text does in the first 13 verses uh, there's just some really great details here that we, we would miss if we don't know what's going on. Uh, first of all, what's happening in verse 1 is a really big deal. Like, all the leaders of the country are coming. Joshua's the, the you know supreme leader, prophet par excellence in his last days, who's gathering everyone for one last message. And uh, they've all gathered, the text says, before God. They expect God to be present and active and to speak through Joshua, what he, what he does. What's also really cool is where this happens. And unless you're like a true Bible nerd, you wouldn't know that this is a big deal. I didn't catch it the first time. They're in Shechem. It's not a particularly like lively place, but it's reminiscent. So one of the last times anybody from Israel was at Shechem, that it was a big deal, was over 500 years ago. Some guy named Abraham, wandering around. And in Genesis chapter 12, he's in Shechem when God comes to him and says, Hey, I'm going to give this land that you're in to your descendants. Back before there was an Israel, there was just an Abraham. And he was just wandering. And he had no children. And God said, I'm going to give a nation this land. And of course, there were other people living in the land. Nation, I don't have any children. He was an old man. And here they are, 500 years later, and there's a nation. There's hundreds of thousands of them. We're thinking at least 600,000. 
present, uh, maybe not at this moment, the leaders are present, but God's, God's fulfilled his promise. They're back where it all started, back at the beginning. And God speaks in verse 2, and what he tells us in the next 12 verses is a summary, you know, fast-forward loop of all that he's done to bring them to this point. It's a, it's a little short trip from the first Shechem to the second Shechem, from promise to living in a promised land, from Abraham all by himself to 12 tribes with hundreds of thousands of people. And what we see if you read through carefully is God brought them every step of the way. He's the one that did it. From one man and a promise made to Abraham with no child to this nation. Uh, these are his people in the land that he promised. He brought them all the way from the first Shechem to this one. And he did it all by his own grace. If you read the text carefully, uh, well, you, you're, just, you're smart. What's the predominant pronoun in this text? Someone say it louder. I heard you a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's used about uh, 19 times. And it's not because uh, God's being narcissistic or megalomaniac. He's simply stating historical truth. I did all these things. I took Abraham, I gave Isaac, I gave Isaac sons, I sent Moses, I played Egypt, I brought you out, I brought you to the land, I gave you the land, I destroyed your enemies, I delivered you from. Over and over, he recounts in a summary statement all that he did for his people to bring them from, from like not existing, just being an Abraham, through slavery to the promised land. He did it all. And uh, verses 12 and 13 are a great little summary of this. Not by your sword, not by your bow. Don't, don't think for a second that you did this by your strength. And he says in verse 13, I gave it to you. I gave you the land. In other words, everything that has happened has been by grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. I gave it to you. And frankly, if we wanted to go back, we could look in a lot of these episodes that are mentioned and say, oh, he did it despite them. Like, they didn't earn it. Like, no, no, Moses messed this thing up royally. I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to give you sons. Okay, I'll take, uh, here, have my wife. Like, he pimps his wife off twice. He jeopardizes it over and over. And, and all the sons do, do stupid things. And uh, the people of Israel don't listen in the wilderness. And God tarries with them patiently because he loves them. And he brings them to himself and to this land out of grace, out of grace. Um, I had this weird experience this morning. I, I woke up and uh, after reading the news and doing other things, I turned on Facebook real quick. And it's weird now. You, I don't know about you, but now Facebook tells me how long I've been on Facebook by telling me something I posted like nine or ten years ago. And I'm like, I've been on this thing way too long. Um, and uh, but every time I see one, I'm like, man, I used to be really smart. Um, or actually, in today's case, what it was, was I read this thing, and I'm like, I don't remember saying that. And it was an instance where my son, who's now nine, was two, and he ran into me. I, I didn't remember this. Ran into me, fell down, and when he fell down, he yelled, baby down! And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, that's a smart kid. And uh, so I was thinking about that, and I'm like, man, that's funny, I didn't remember that. And then I started thinking, like, that was February, like, eight years ago. And I started thinking, like, wait a minute. Huh. Luda was pregnant with Abiel eight years ago. Wait a minute. Luda was pregnant with Alicia 
six years ago. Wait a minute. Lydia was pregnant with Simon three years ago. Uh, there's two things to learn from this. We have a lot of kids. Um, <laughs> and uh, secondly, the, the main thing that really came to me was I forgot all of this. I forgot all this. We forget the details of our own story in really shocking ways. And what's happening in verses 1 through 13 is it's like God is pulling out like the old family film from the trunk in the attic or digging out the old uh, photo album and showing you all that you did together as you grew up. And you're not only being reminded of like, oh, I used to dress funny and have a weird haircut, or that was a fun trip, but as you look through, you see, man, he really loved me. Like, they, they really loved me. The father really loved me. That's, what he, that's what's being communicated here. They, he did so much to bring us here. And as he recounts the history, we see that it's all grace and how much he loves his family. And that greater love in this text has some implications. I'm going to make these pretty quick. One, it means that uh, they and you as individuals have a bigger family. That uh, your story, your family is bigger than just you. And maybe even your immediate family or your sorority sisters or brothers, whatever the case is. That if you're a Christian, you're part of this great family that God is making. It's not about you, singular. It's about y'all, what God is doing in history, bringing you together It's part of your story now. It's part of your history. You're a part of his people. And uh, that means you have fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters that you may not know of or have gotten to know yet. And and frankly, it should be a great encouragement because I know so many people in this group and outside this group are desperately looking to find a place where they belong. Occasionally, I'll see a student that used to be involved and no longer is involved. And I'll see them a year later, and they literally are a different human being. They've completely changed. And I, maybe they have found themselves. I don't know. But maybe they're trying desperately hard, desperately hard, and are willing to do anything to belong. Like, completely change themselves. Like, I don't recognize you anymore, but I do. And they've changed everything just because they're trying to find a place where they belong. And, and, the, and the lesson here is, if, if you're part of God's family, you do belong. Whether you feel like it or not, you do. And, and so step in. Let us know. So we can invite you in and get to know you and welcome you. So you have a bigger family. Secondly, you have a bigger story. And it's a bigger story than, and a better story than the one that you're telling yourself. Uh, I, I think we all have stories. It's the, it's the idol. Well, I'll, let me help you figure it out. You take a long, long walk because you're stressed. Okay? Imagine doing this. You take a long, long... For the first time freshman, you tell us how to take a long walk into Shinley and you get lost because you've never been there before. Um, and once you figure out it'll be okay and you're out for like 45 minutes to an hour, what is it you can't stop thinking about? What is it you can't get off your mind? Like something just keeps coming back. Or you try to go pray for a while and you can't get that out of your mind. Chances are that's your story. That, that's your default setting. That's what you're living for. You can't clear it from the system history because that's what's driving you. And uh, this story, the story the, the Bible offers us, is bigger and better 
for us. It's more gracious, it's more loving than the one that we're repeating to ourselves over and over. Those stories tend to be stories like, I have to do more, I have to work harder, the next thing, the next person, the next whatever, that'll bring the peace, that'll bring the joy, just a little further. And uh, this story's this story's much better. Uh, I want to share a little clip, not clip, that makes it sound like I'm going to show something, a, a little piece uh, from the book, The Screwtape Letters. If you're not familiar, I need to set it up real quick. C.S. Lewis wrote The Screwtape Letters. It's a dialogue. Just take some imagination. This was not recorded in history, okay? Um, it's a dialogue between like two demons, okay? Talking about the ways of the world. And uh, one is sort of the older, wiser demon, lecturing the younger, smaller, immature one. And he says this. One must face the fact that all the talk about God's love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would like to believe, mere propaganda. It is an appalling truth. This God really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself, creatures whose life on a miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he's absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We, remember these are the bad guys, we, we want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who finally become children. We want to suck them in. He wants to give out. We are empty and long to be filled, but he is full and flows over. I think that's a beautiful description of what I've been saying. It's all grace. He gives and he gives and he gives to his children. And as I said before, we're all rehearsing a story. I don't know to what extent you do that, but I'm pretty sure you have one. And, uh, and I don't know what your particular one is, but we all are rehearsing a story. I'm a failure. I have to work harder. What will mom and dad think? What will my friends think? How am I going to hide this? This next job, this next opportunity, this will finally make me happy if I can just get their attention. And I want you to hear how much better, bigger, more loving and different this story is that there's a God who wants servants, so they finally become his children. And once you understand that, I think that opens up this possibility of wholehearted, lifelong love. So the first thing is, this is just me pressing this on you and asking you to think along with me. you got to understand it. you got to know it. Do you understand the story? Do you know the story? Do you understand that the Bible, that the good news of the Bible is about a God who's gracious, who uh, pursues his people and saves them, even though no one, no one, no one deserves it. He does the things, kind of things we see in verses 1 to 13. And if you keep reading, he keeps on acting like this. He puts up with Israel, though they fail him over and over. He sends them prophets and kings. He makes promises. And when the time is right, he comes himself in the form of Jesus. He, he's born. He fulfills the law. He suffers under Pontius Pilate unrighteously. He, uh, he's crucified, he dies, he's buried, and he does all that to take away the weight, the sin, the penalty of our, of our failures, our sin, our selfishness, so we can be forgiven. And so we can come back and join the family. Do you understand that? That's what the story is about. It's about his grace. It's about his love. It's that every good thing given, every step of the way, is his grace. Not because you earned it, not because you're better, not because you worked harder, 
because he's kind and gracious. And if you do understand that, and you sort of want it to be true, you sort of desperately hope it's true, then, then the, the way to proceed is, is, is Jesus. It's to, it's to cling on to him. It's to become more, more acquainted with him, to learn more about him, not, not in some academic fashion, but so that you would more fully trust and rely on him. That's how you make this story your own and begin to step into it. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, okay, I've known that forever. Thanks. I know that. Um, well, don't be too full of yourselves. Um, we, we are really good at forgetting things. Like I said, I, 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 forgot my, I forget things about my family and I live with them every day. And, and we forget the gospel, those of us who say we believe it. So the, the question for you is not necessarily do you understand it, is do you rehearse it? Because that's what God's doing right here with his people. He's telling them things they already know. They already know this. He's rehearsing it for them. And the question is, do we rehearse it? Uh, and so here's how you rehearse it. First of all, uh, take thyself to a good ministry or church. Like, you, you have to. I mean, this is what the church is for. It, it's, its job is to present to you weekly, not just for your academic consideration, because if you're a Christian, you need to hear it and be reminded over and over. This is what God's like, and this is your need. And, and take that self to a good church or ministry that actually preaches the gospel in its depths, that's not afraid of hard things, uh, that doesn't just touch the froth or the, or the skin of his love, but dives down deeply, messily into the guts. If you're going to a church or a ministry that never talks about sin, you're actually never really going to understand his love because it's not realistic. Get down into the guts of sin and judgment and sacrifice. That's how much he loves us. He's willing to give himself. And, and, and when you understand how much he loves you, then, 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 maybe we have a chance, a chance to begin to love him with our whole heart for our whole life. But only if we really understand how much he loves us. So take that self to a good church. Uh, lastly, you have to take yourself in hand, or to be consistent, take thyself in hand. Um, some of you should probably read this book. You'll know who you are when I read this quote. This book is called Spiritual Depression. It's a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, old British uh, pastor. Listen to this carefully. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. I'm going to read it again. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? I'm not listening to you. Stop it. Um, and uh, what he's saying, again, is that we all have a way of, of owning a story and rehearsing a story. And uh, some of you are beating yourselves up. Some of you are trying to fix yourselves. Uh, some of you are sucked into yourself so deeply that there may be never any hope that you ever find your way out. And, uh, and it's often because we listen to ourselves. And, and Lloyd-Jones is saying, if, if, we're, if we're Christians, we know this story, we understand his love, then, then we need to take ourselves in hand and begin to talk to ourselves. And one of the best examples of this in Scripture is this psalm, Psalm 103. Some of you may be familiar with it. It begins, bless the Lord, O my soul. And it goes on in great detail to recount 
all the blessings that God has given to his children, this guy in particular, who forgives all your sins and all your iniquities, who restores your life from the pit. And he goes on for like 25 verses. What he's doing, listen, bless the Lord of my soul. He's literally saying, wake up. What's wrong with you? Seriously, what's wrong with you? Wake up. What's wrong with Listen, soul. Listen to me to what's true about what's true about God, what he's done for me. I need to stop listening to my stupid repeat cycle and, and remind myself what God has done for me, who he's revealed himself to be, what his love is really like. Can you take yourself in hand and drag yourself back to the truth, to the good story of God and what he's done for his people and remind yourself of his love? Can you escape the pit you put yourself in with your own story by reminding yourself that there's a much bigger, much better, truer story that God gives us? So if we want a wholehearted, lifelong love for the Lord who loves us, it starts right here, knowing his love and rehearsing it, never getting away from it, coming back to it over and over. So uh, there's a really, I wouldn't say it's a great it's a, it's a really interesting, no, it's not interesting either. It's a really amusing uh, romantic comedy called Fifty uh, First Dates. You, you can't give like any glowing review to an Adam Sandler movie. Um, so um, anyway, stars Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. And uh, if you've seen it, uh, don't talk to me later and tell me what you think. Um, it's probably not worth more than like 30 seconds of conversation though. But this works. Hang with me. Um, so Drew Barrymore's character, Lucy, uh, in this movie, has a form of amnesia that causes her to forget everything that happens that day when she goes to bed at night. She remembers things before her accident, but since her accident, she lives her day, she forgets everything at night, she starts over the next day. Well, in this movie, she meets a guy played by Adam Sandler. They hit it off well. They have a great first date. They meet him again the next day, and she can't remember him. And uh, he has to start all over again. And uh, at first, as you watch the movie, and this happened over and over, it's sort of funny. And then as it keeps going on, it actually sort of gets heartbreaking because she can never remember who she is in relation to his love. They, they can't move forward in any way. But if you skip ahead to the end of the movie, the movie ends uh, with her waking up. She wakes up on a boat. And she wakes up like she does every morning. She wakes up confused. And uh, she wakes up, she turns and sees a, a video. This movie is old. There's a, a VHS cassette. And it says, uh, good morning, Lucy. And so she gets up and, and puts the video into the VCR. And uh, it starts to tell, to recall, to retell her story from the accident to explain what's wrong with her. And then it goes to her wedding day and shows her wedding. as uh, She's on the beach getting married in Hawaii and at this point, she looks at her hand. She like, realizes she's married, and she's shocked. And um, it concludes uh, with, a, with a black screen, but a voice saying, it's very cold outside this morning, so when you're ready, put a jacket on and come outside and have breakfast with me. And a couple of minutes later, she emerges uh, to, at the top of the boat. And as she does so, she hears a voice that says, Good morning, Mrs. Roth. Would you like to meet your daughter? Uh, go say hello to your mommy. And uh, so she's been married for years. She has a beautiful child. And uh, her, her response is beautiful. She, she doesn't expect any of this. She's forgotten like she has every day. And, and with joyful tears, she just sort of cries out, oh my goodness, because she forgot how good her life is, how beautiful it is. Every day she forgets, 
And every day, he has to woo her and remind her again. And frankly, that's a picture of us, friends. It is. It's a picture of us. We're always forgetting the big, beautiful story of God's love for us. And we're always needing to be reminded again and again. And it's a picture of his love because even though we forget over and over again, he reminds us again and again. All right, let's pray together. Our good Lord, we ask that you would be kind to uh, help us see in this old text, in these old acts,